the Jericho Network on Westwood One. Welcome to One on One with Mitch Pona. Joining me on this episode, it is a Chicago guitarist Keith Hallen. We look back on the band's storied career, talk about their current tour with Earth, Wind, and Fire, discuss Terry Kath, Peter Cetera, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and a lot, lot more. Before checking out Keith, please check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon, M I T C H L A F O N. One on one, Mitch Lafon on Facebook and paypal.me forward slash Mitch Lafon should you care to support the podcast. And with that, here is the one, the only Chicago guitarist. Keith Howland. We are speaking with Keith Howland, guitarist for the band Chicago. They are in Montreal next, uh, well, on October 28th. Uh, pleasure to speak with you, Keith. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Um, so let, let's talk about the tour first. You're uh, going to be in town very shortly. Um, what can fans expect on this, uh, on this run? Well, I mean, not to sound uh, trite, but they can expect more of the same. Of uh, This is our fourth uh, go-around with Earth, Wind & Fire. And, you know, we've taken a bit of an if-it-ain't-broke-don't-fix-it mentality. And a little changes here and there, and the production is certainly um, more impressive than it's ever been um, on this most recent go-around um, with the projection screens we're using. And it, it's... Uh, it's pretty nuts. I mean, Tris, our drummer, is about you know forty feet in the air behind me. <laughs> if it gives you any idea of what the staging is like, I'm exaggerating slightly, but uh, it is um, it's 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 pr- a pretty huge production, and it's uh, it's quite the spectacle. The uh, the closing thirty minutes of the show, the six song encore with both bands on stage, which is about twenty three people i think all playing uh hits from both bands is that's worth the price of admission alone the rest is gravy <laughs> so uh that's kind of that's kind of what it is it's um nothing quite like it out there in my humble opinion yeah really there really isn't now the, the band's been around for for 50 years your rock and roll hall of fame you've been with them since 1995 what is it about Chicago music that just keeps the fan base so uh, interested and just keeps people coming back? You know, that's a good question because I really think there's been a resurgence as of late of uh, sort of the a newer generation discovering the, the music of the, the late 60s and the 70s. Um, I see so many kids walking around with, you know, ACDC t-shirts and uh you know, Super Tramp and Cheap Trick and all these bands. And um, so we're seeing like, you know, three generations coming to see the shows. You know, you see the grandparents, the parents and the kids, and they all know the words and they're all enjoying the show, um, which is a pretty cool thing. Um, you know, I know me personally, um, I still listen to the music that I, I grew up listening to. You know, I still pull out my Steely Dan records and my Toto records and my Journey records and, and and even Chicago records, even though I've been playing with the guys, those records from the 70s I grew up listening to. So, you know, that's still, uh, you know, a different listening experience for me to listen to those records than than what we than what we even are doing now. Um, so it's just kind of a, you know, it's a kind of a cool thing and people are still connecting to what they grew up with and their kids are, too. 
In fact, so so let's talk about those those '70s records because the guitarist on that was Terry Kath, and and he just was phenomenal. So, were you as a guitarist attracted to what he was doing in terms of his style and his approach to the guitar? Absolutely. Um, Terry was probably one of my one of my earliest influences, maybe with the exception of uh, Tony Peluso, who was in the Carpenters band. Um, his solo on Goodbye to Love was like one of the one of the first sort of rock guitar solos I ever heard, and it really kind of set me on my ear. But then my older brother brought Chicago Two home, probably somewhere around 1971, um, and I was only seven years old at the time. Um, he's four years older than me, and his drum instructor wanted him to check out Danny Serafin. Um, and he, I remember he brought it home in quadraphonic stereo, you know, four speaker uh, quadraphonic, and we sat in his room, right in the center of the room with the four speakers around us, and we listened to that whole record. And I remember just thinking, wow, I've never heard anything like this before. And it it was so uh, so cool and so diverse and so musical. Uh, we were fans from that point forward, and uh, and yeah, Terry's guitar playing for sure. Um, I saw them in '75 at the Capitol Center in Largo, Maryland, um, with Terry, and uh, you know it was uh, it was mind blowing. You know, for a for a what was I then an 11 year old kid who was just starting to pick up the guitar. Yeah, so I- for sure. Yeah, he he was he was something uh, just absolutely unique and special, you know, the just the way he handled it. Um so 1995, you joined the band. They have this sort of 30-year legacy going at that point. What was it like for you when you first sort of showed up and and plugged in and then realized, "Okay, I've got the gig. Oh my, like what do I do now?" kind of thing. Yeah, it took me a while to get over the sort of pinch me aspect of it. You know, the the audition was really surreal. Um, I remember during the audition, we started playing, uh, I think it was, does anybody really know what time it is? And when Robert Lamb started to sing, I, I almost stopped playing because I was so flabbergasted that Robert Lamb was standing like four feet away from me singing, you know, a song that I'd obviously seen them do in concert many times I saw the band probably a good seven or eight times before I auditioned to, you know, to play with the group. Um, so yeah, that was kind of a, kind of a trip and, you know, Jimmy Pankow sliding up next to me on stage playing his trombone sort of freaked me out for a little while. And I still have moments like that where I kind of still go, wow, you know, it's two decades later, a little over two decades later. And, um, you know, there've been a lot of, a lot of bucket list things. I mean, we played for presidents and we played on all the different late night TV shows and we've the earth, wind and fire thing sold out Madison square garden and different arena gigs. And, um, we just did three nights with the Hollywood at the Hollywood bowl with the LA symphony, which was just an amazing experience. Um, you know, so I mean, there's, it just seems like there's still, things that keep getting checked off you know the next one that's on the list that they're trying to make happen is a a super bowl halftime show and uh, if that happens that'll be uh that'll be pretty amazing too so uh you know it's just uh it's been a crazy ride and it's um it's still fun after all these years for me 
Yeah, and it's still not over. Uh, in terms of your guitaring style, when you joined the band and now, what was sort of your, your intention of contributing to the band? Was it just like, okay, I'm just going to learn these songs and play them note for note? Or did you say, okay, I've got my own style. I'm going to try to... So how, how did you see your, your role in the band then and now? Well, here's, here's kind of the deal. Um, you know, I was so steeped in the music of Chicago um, that a lot of it was kind of in my DNA already, even though I had a lot of the, most of the songs I had never actually learned or played, it was already in my DNA. I just had to get it under my hands. Um, I did not approach it from a note for note perspective by any, by any stretch. Um, but I certainly did honor the late great Terry Kath in the way I approached uh, you know, the rhythm parts to the songs and anything that was signature, I certainly kept, but the, but the band encouraged individuality and put your own spin on things. So I was able to sort of stretch out and, you know, for example, on 25 or six to four, the first eight bars of the guitar solo is so signature that I play that note for note every night. And from there I launch off into being me. Um, and being me, has some elements of Terry in there because I certainly listened to him enough that there's some of that in there. And then there's also quite a bit of, uh, of Steve Lukather from Toto, um, Eddie Van Halen, uh, Jeff Beck, you know, who were my other big influences. Um, and ironically enough, uh, Steve Lukather and Michael Landau and Paul Jackson Jr. are the guys that played on the David Foster era records, the, 16 and 17. Um, and so the fact that I was sort of steeped in those guys as well and had those sounds and that sort of more eighties polished thing, um, made me well qualified to do the foster era stuff as well as the seventies era stuff, which I think was part of what made me the right fit for the band because I could honor the, the, the more R and B retro stylings of Terry and the seventies stuff, because I, had that in me, but I also had really, really steeped in the LA session guitar player thing in the eighties, um, you know, and had, had that to offer as well. So that covered basically the whole ball of wax of what the band does live. You know, I can shift gears in and out of that sort of, uh, Terry to Lukather thing. So, um, you know, to answer your question, it still is to try to represent the music as faithfully as possible and bring the essence of all of those records to the table and then having the ability to be myself when it's called for. The last studio album goes back to 2014. Um, where are we in making a new studio album? And, and also, how important is it at this point to have new music? I mean, Chicago, like Aerosmith or Kiss... You can go out there and put your name on the marquee, and the fans are going to show up regardless. Um, how important is it to have new music available? Well, you know what? As as uh, <clears throat> as an artist, and and, and you know, as a band, uh, creating new music is sort of necessary for the you know to keep the to keep the soul of the band alive and keep the band excited about. Uh, being creative and scratching that itch because these guys are all still uh, very creative. You know, Robert, Robert Lamb is still constantly writing and, 
and, and conceiving of new, new music. And, um, you know, and guys that had outlets with, with solo projects and different things like that. But, um, it's almost more important to the band to make new music than it is to, uh, the band's legacy and career, because there's going to be, uh, the, the diehard fans that are going to buy the new stuff and they're going to dig it and it's going to be great. Um, but to appeal to a really massive audience with it, um, in the current state of the record business is, is difficult. You know, all, all of the bands that we mentioned earlier, whether it's journey or Toto or, Foreigner, Audio Speedwagon, in Chicago, you know, bands make records and obviously they don't sell like they did in the seventies or the eighties, just because that's just not the way, um, right. And nobody you know, does the, by the, the way. market. Nobody does. I mean, I mean, unless you're, you know, Bruno Mars or, or, uh, you know, one of these, you know, mega, mega, mega stars, you know, today, um, but the legacy bands, you know, people really do want to come to relive their memories and hear those songs that they came to hear. And you can put maybe one or two new things in there and that's not going to make anybody crazy. But if you put, you know, seven new songs into the set, people are going to be going to the bathroom and, you know, going out for a drink because, you know, they want to hear Saturday in the park and 25 or six to four and, you know, make me smile. And, you know, that's what they're coming for. Yeah, they really are. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a real quality problem to have in this day and age. Because, um, you know, any of these younger bands and the new bands, you know, you really, if you ask yourself, it, now, will this artist be around in 40 years or 50 years and still being able to tour and still being able to play their music? Or is this something that's going to happen for a, a brief period of, you know, big, you know, big record sales and big touring and then kind of go away? because the timeless music of the seventies has really um, stood up and I'm not sure some of the more current stuff will, some of it will just like, I guess some of it, you know, well, you ever, you ever, you ever tune in and listen to like uh, uh, American top 40, they replay it on satellite radio. Yeah. Sometimes the yeah. old Casey Kasem in the seventies. And it's amazing when you listen to it out of the 40 songs, you'll hear like, 18 or 20 that are like classics that are all over classic rock radio and are still getting airplay. And the rest of them you haven't heard since they were in the top 40 and they're side by side. And you're like, wow, what happened to that song or what happened to that artist? You know, know, and and that is an important point because it it is a rare thing to have a career that lasts even five years in the music business. You know, your Chicago's and your Journeys and your Aerosmiths and your Rolling Stones are such a huge exception that they've had a career that lasts for so long. Um, in, in terms of longevity, you know, uh, Robert recently said that the band is never going to end. We're just sort of going to ride it until we can't. Um, is that sort of how you see it as well? That it, you just you just keep this going? You know, I didn't really used to look at it that way. I always kind of wondered, you know, <laughs> I, I like to say when I when I joined the band, I had just turned 30 and all the uh, the original guys had just turned 50. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, you know, I, I you know, probably get five years out of this, you know, before they're going to want to hang it up. You know, certainly by age 55, they're going to want to retire. You know, now here we are and I'm, I'm in my early 50s. And those guys are older than that. And, uh, and now it looks like there's no end in sight. So it's sort of, um, 
Um, you know, and, and, and also we're just seeing that a lot of these bands are able to continue with personnel changes and, and, um, you know, there's some bands out on the road that don't even have one original member still out there and they're still playing the music and still, you know, maybe someday there'll be a Chicago where it'll be, uh, you know, Hey Keith, you, you actually played with the original guys at one point, didn't you? <laughs> you know, where it just keeps going. Who knows? Well, we'll you know, it, uh... it's important that you mention that because I was going to actually talk to you about the personnel changes uh, because it, it's never diluted the product. The product has always been exceptionally high quality, and it does speak to how brand is bigger than band, right? It is, and 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 Chicago um, certainly is probably one of the most. Uh, productive examples of that in in terms of you know uh, Jim Gersio when he originally conceived of you know conceptually calling the band um, Chicago having it known as the logo numbering the albums not putting anybody's face on the cover it was all in a in a a very um, sort of um, calculated we want to put something out there where the music and the logo is what people think of first and the band will be able to survive personnel changes because it'll be somewhat of a faceless entity now peter satara became a face in the mtv era for that brief period with stay the night and you're the inspiration and and um so that sort of uh that happened but obviously you know, they, the band survived his departure. They survived Terry Katz's death. Um, and they've, you know, other personnel changes over the years. The one constant, though, has been that horn section, which is, uh, you know, pretty much the integral part of, of the connection of, of what this thing is. You know, Jimmy and, and Lee Lockney in particular uh, Walt Parasader is still in the band, but he doesn't tour as much as he used to for health reasons. Um, but that original horn section and Robert Lamb, um, you know, keep us tied to the to, to the roots, to the legacy, to the to the original. You know, as soon as we hit, does anybody really know what time it is? And Robert starts singing, you can see people just go, ah, yep, that's that's it, that's the voice, that's the sound. You know, so. And it's funny that you mentioned the faceless thing in a sense because, you know, I've seen Foreigner uh, four times in the last year and three times there wasn't a single original member. And you know what? It didn't distract from the fun one bit. The the, the band was great. The song sounded great. So it, it's just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, I know those guys and uh, actually Bruce Watson, who's a guitar player playing with them and in mixed absence. Um, great act, great and I think guy. he plays even, yeah. And I mean, the, the band is smoking. I saw them not that long ago as well. And, uh, you know, when you're putting a, not to use a football analogy, but when you're putting a product on the field, that's that good, you know, and those songs are being represented that well, it's, uh, you know, people are not disappointed. No, it's tough to complain. It's, it's, yeah. It's and, a great, great band yeah and, and i sort of compare it to uh, a baseball team you know 
you know, people say, well, Babe Ruth is the Yankees, but he hasn't been a Yankee for many years, and people still go out to the games and enjoy them. So why not go out and enjoy Foreigner and, and Chicago and all these bands? Um, you That's men- funny you say that, because I, I followed Joe Montana to Kansas City when he played for the Chiefs in the early 90s, and I've, I've been a Chiefs fan ever since. And, you know, basically people have said to me, well, you, you, you followed them, followed Joe Montana there, and he was only there for two years. So you're basically rooting for the jerseys or the city that you've never lived in. And I said, well, but, you know, that's my team. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and that's that's sort of how I see Chicago and Foreigner. You know, th- those are the th- those are the songs I grew up with and the product or the guys that are playing them now sound as good in some cases better than the originals and so hey why not let's go let's go have fun on on a friday night um y- you mentioned peter satara and i, w- I was going to sort of stay away from that but the rock and roll hall of fame obviously you know the story was that expected for, uh, from you was it a disappointment was it a eh so what you know uh, how did you view that situation well it didn't surprise me um, and, and I, I will just say this, you know, obviously for me, um, coming from a fan first and a member second, um, it was very exciting for me to get to play with Danny Serapin. Um, and it would have been really exciting for basically me to get up there and play with the, the surviving six of the original seven members of the band if Peter had been there. And that was kind of a bucket list thing I was looking forward to, um, but, you know, I understand it because, uh, you know, the band and Peter are, it's sort of like a, you know, it's like a an ex-wife or a, a bad marriage that ended in a not great way. And, you know, they, they started talking to work out what they were going to do for the thing. And it just, some of the old issues between them cropped right back up and, and Peter decided he didn't want to do it. You know, as a result, it sort of was, uh, you know, he was making some demands and, and the band was sort of saying, no, nah, no, nah, we need to do it this way. And he said, no, I want to do it that way. And then it just didn't happen. So it's unfortunate and it's mm-hmm. unfortunate for the fans specifically, but, but I understand it. I get it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I've seen that happen before with Van Halen, with Kiss, with uh, uh, Guns oh, N' yeah. Roses. You know, it is what it is. Um, in terms of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame itself, though, it took an exceptionally long time for the Hall to recognize the band. Uh, as a fan yourself, who started off as a fan, was that sort of a head-scratcher where you go, what are you waiting for? I mean, it's been 40 years, 50 years. I mean, come on. Um, how did you take that? Does it even matter to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You know what? It does matter because okay. it is it is something that is going to be be there for eternity, um, and you know it certainly was well received and and accepted with gratitude by the by the uh, by our original guys, and they were very flattered and, and and honored, even though it did take a lot longer than it probably should have. Um, but you know. I've always contended, and, and, and I had come to believe that it was never going to happen, to be honest with you, because it got passed over so many times. 
Um, but if you kind of look at the history of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, there's a lot of bands out there that should be in that still aren't. Um, and it kind of seems like now they're starting to bring in, you know, this, this, you know, Cheap Trick, Steve Miller band. Some of these bands, they, they should have been in sooner as well. Um, I think Yes is still not in. The Doobie Brothers are still not in. But yet you, you've got some one-hit wonders that had, you know, one hit in the 60s that are in. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher, which kind of makes you think. I always thought that if Chicago had recorded CTA, and then had died in a plane crash or broken up immediately afterwards and only released that one record, they would have been in immediately upon eligibility. There was something about the fact that the band just continued to work and continued to tour and stuck around for as long as they had that sort of made the hall say, well, you know, these guys should have hung it up a long time ago or something. You know what I mean? Just sort of, it was a, it was kind of a strange perception that I think kept them out. Um, you know, and maybe, you know, the music that was made in the eighties that maybe they didn't think was as congruent with what the rock and roll hall of fame represents as the seventies music that they made, um, you know, might've brought them down a notch in their, uh, you know, respectability, in their eyes, which I, I disagree because I think the stuff the band did in the, in the, in the eighties was every bit as cool and valid. It was just different. And it was a different era. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. But, it, uh, it, it's strange how, how they, they do that. And you, you look at some of the biggest bands, especially in the heavy manual genre, your Iron Maidens, your Judas Priest that have been, you, you can't argue that they're all, you know, they're hall of fame bands and yet they don't, even get, they don't even get looked at. Um, and we'll finish nope. with we'll finish with this uh, because um, you've done some solo projects, Howland, and and the last name has always tricked me up. But Im Imboden, I guess is that how you, is that how you say it? Yes, Tris Imboden, our <laughs> yeah. drummer. Yes, it's Swiss. It's a Swiss name. Yeah, Imboden. Uh, you've done some stuff with him. You also released uh, Kikreg back in two thousand seven. Yeah. Um, are you working on any other solo albums, projects, or anything outside of Chicago? Actually, yes, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, we're right now in the final mixing stages of, uh, uh, of a record that I'm, I'm really proud of. It's, it's actually, um, the whole thing started when I, we were on the road with the Doobie Brothers, and uh, um, John Cowan, who plays bass and sings with the Doobie Brothers, and he was also the, the lead singer frontman of a band called New Grass Revival. Um, him and Ed Toth, the drummer that plays with the Doobes, um, who was also in a band called Vertical Horizon. And I all discovered that we all lived in Nashville. So we started a little band project and we started doing, doing gigs around town, just doing cover tunes. We were doing Hendrix and Cream and just kind of trio stuff that was kind of fun to just get out and blow out the cobwebs. But we started writing music and we were getting ready to release a record. And, and the name of the band Previously was Secret Agent Orange, but we just changed the name. We're going to call the band Button, B-U-T-T-O-N. So the band is going to be called Button, and the record should be out before the end of the year. So, um, and it's really cool stuff. It's 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 vocal uh, pop, but it's sort of uh, there's definite sort of jam band elements, and and uh, it's real organic stuff. So. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. If you could compare it to a band, 
what would it sort of sound like? Are, are we talking, you know, is it Foreigner? Is is it the Beatles? Is it Rolling Stones? Is it, you know, in terms of is it government? Huge. It just is. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. You were you getting ready to say government mule? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah it's got jam it's stuff, probably, right? It's probably more in that vein. Okay. But it's 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 really hard to it's really hard to describe. It's like I say, it's it's kind of got my uh, John Cowan refers to it as uh, what do you call it? Hillbilly jazz because it's kind of it's got a lot of improvisation but there's i don't even know elements of there are some country elements in it because of john's background in bluegrass um so it's really it's kind of all over the map but it's really fun stuff in in terms of finding it is it uh, going to be available through the regular outlets your itunes your amazon and all that or do they have to go to cd it should be yeah yeah okay and and well we probably will release it through cd baby but it will be on Okay. You know all the digital sites and and whatnot, but um, there's a few tunes on iTunes right now. If you go up and you look, Secret Agent Orange. Um, there's a tune called Christopherson. There's a tune called Three Minute Egg, and there's a tune called Digit, which are all uh, up under the name Secret Agent Orange on iTunes. Which are all three tunes that are going to be on the Button record, um, and, and those are actually are the recordings that are going on there. So if you want to kind of get an idea of what it sounds like, you can go check those out. Um, even though we've now changed the name and can kind of re-release it. and Not that many people heard those anyway. Um, we well, put them up as singles. We're going to change that. We're going to make sure more and more people hear that stuff. Uh, Keith, absolute pleasure today. Yeah, man, it's been great to talk to you. And uh, will we see you in uh, in Montreal? Yes, I'm absolutely hoping. it's. Uh, it, I will be there. Look okay. forward, look forward sounds, to it. Sounds good. All right. Thank, well, thank you, sir. All right, we'll talk to you soon. There you have it, folks. My interview with Chicago guitarist Keith Howland. Please check them out on tour with Earth, Wind, and Fire. You can find all information and news about the band at chicagotheband.com. While you're on the Internet, please head over to Twitter and check me out at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N, one-on-one Mitch Lafon on Facebook, and paypal.me forward slash Mitch Lafon should you care to support the podcast. And with that, I bid you a fond farewell Adieu, bonsoir, auf Wiedersehen, and all that other stuff. Bye for now. Oh my. <laughs>